This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Welcome, everyone, to a brand new edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through the free 1037 The Game mobile app, Audio Mac, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, however you get your podcasts, you can check us out a lot of different ways, so make sure you check out the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, among all the other great stuff that 1037 The Game brings to the table online. Appreciate you listening in. And I'm going to get into a lot of stuff that I've been wanting to kind of yell and rant and rave about over the last few days. And I think there's a big reason why it's draft time. It is the time to start ranting and raving about the fact that pro wrestling, WWE, had its big draft over the last few days. Started on Friday Night SmackDown, which I wasn't able to watch live because of the fact that we had Hurricane Delta hit. The state of Louisiana, so wasn't able to kind of see it live, but luckily I was able to kind of keep tabs of things through Twitter and all kinds of different ways of figuring out what was going on. But I, I was actually still unable to watch Raw at the time of this recording because well, I've been without power for the last few days, but now I have it back, so I'm probably wind up catching up on it. But I have some thoughts on how the WWE draft went down, and I'll kind of break it down round by round, because I think there's a lot of things you can take away from how they did things, and I like a lot of it. I'll start off with the first picks for both brands. It made sense. If you didn't do it this way, this was going to be all wrong. Because in my mind, if you're going to draft and everybody's available in a true draft of the entire WWE roster, no matter how you put the pools together, the first picks should always be WWE and Universal Champion, one and two. Those should be your first two picks. You can kind of alternate them whenever you want, but this is how it should be done, is have that be your top guys. Your top champions should, honestly, I'd probably say your first two or three rounds have to be all champions in your respective brands. That's how you should book this thing out. But, of course, WWE doesn't necessarily have to do it. But I love the way, because I think that would be the perfect way to start things off. The first round should be entirely dedicated to drafting your champions. Second round, I'd probably go second. The first two rounds, be all champions. And you have to pick a champion. And obviously, you've only got three main champions to choose from. You got your, excuse me, you got four champions in those rounds. And they each get two picks in their respective rounds. You got your WWE, your world champions, your second-tier champs, your tag team champions, and your women's champion. 24-7 can go wherever. You can fill in that blank a little bit later, but it's all about the top-tier champions. So the first two rounds should have been dedicated solely towards that. But again, it made perfect sense. McIntyre and Roman Reigns, your two top stars in the company, makes perfect sense. And then this is where things got a little interesting, just to see how they wanted to establish Monday Night Raw and SmackDown on Fox going forward. Asuka continued to be the Raw Women's Champion. Makes perfect sense. Then comes Seth Rollins, gets drafted to SmackDown with the 
fourth overall pick, the second pick from SmackDown in their first round, their last pick in the first round, I should say, drafted fourth overall. And that intrigues me a lot so because of the fact that now if the Roman Reigns-Jay Uso feud ends at Hell in a Cell, now it sets up Roman Reigns-Seth Rollins down the road, and that winds up making you wonder who is going to be face, who is going to be heel, what's going to happen with Rollins' character arc going forward. Will we see a resolution with Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio down the road? That question remains to be answered at this point in time. And then the first round ended with the Hurt Business, and Bobby Lashley, current United States champion, is in that number. So the Hurt Business remains on the red brand to wrap up the first round. Definitely good. Interesting to see the fact that you know Raw largely kept in control the championships that they had. That was fun to see. But I think the second round was the more entertaining just because of the fact there was so much like questions as a now you've gotten rid of those guys. Who's next to come off the block in Friday night's pool of players? Because it wasn't necessarily a entire full blown draft where everybody was available. It was a certain number of people available night one, then night two, you want to seeing the other half of that be used. And then you have some undrafted free agents that have gotten signed. I'll get to those in a little bit. But then it comes to AJ Styles getting drafted to Raw. I'm interested in that a lot, so because of the fact that they just moved him over to SmackDown not long after, you know, the graveyard match kind of moved him over to the other side of the blue brand, and he was doing really well over there as an Intercontinental Champion, having a really solid long title reign. So I was definitely surprised to see AJ Styles get moved over to Raw so darn soon. Sasha Banks makes sense to see her continue her feud with Bailey. It's gonna be a long term angle. This is going to be your one of your top women superstars in the WWE, and SmackDown is going to have a great one in there. And then comes, I'd say, probably some steals in the draft, especially for SmackDown. Raw got Naomi, and I was kind of surprised. I thought they would have kind of retained everybody, and they would have made the decision to say, hey, we're going to go ahead and set up shop and move on and keep these couples together but you know of course we are not in that kind of universe we're going to go ahead and book this thing out pretty much willy-nilly but i absolutely loved the fact that we got to this main this kind of setup right here with naomi but the steal of the draft for me in the first few rounds was without doubt bianca belair because they have kind of established her as being this next big thing in the women's division and putting her in there with stars like bailey which we'll get to in a little bit that is absolutely going to be huge to see what happens going forward with her and how they get her into the mix of this SmackDown women's division, which has already always looked fairly stacked. Then you get to end the second round, the women's tag team champions, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax, which honestly I feel like the women's tag team championships need to go away very soon because it feels like there's no real point. There's no real women's tag teams anymore in the WWE. It's become almost an afterthought at this point. Now, the odd couple is you hold this title for probably a good while. Then you get to Ricochet and Jey Uso get drafted to start off the third round. Ricochet's been one hell of a guy. He's been able to stick around with the red brand over the last couple of years. And I think he's going to excel really well in this new Monday Night Raw and see what he can wind up doing. Maybe have another feud with Ricochet, with, excuse me, AJ Styles down the road, but obviously you got the Hurt Business stuff. is still a thing that's going on. As of the end of the night one of the draft. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Then we have Jey Uso stays on SmackDown, obviously, to continue the storyline with what's going on with your boys. 
Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. Then you get to see Mandy Rose stick to Monday Night Raw, sticks with the red brand. Continuing what happened with Miz trading off Mandy Rose, getting Mandy Rose traded to Raw to kind of draw the ire of Otis. And then to end round three, Ray and Dominic Mysterio were both drafted over SmackDown. Again, what does this mean for the feud with Seth Rollins and Ray Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio, the whole family? That kind of gets moved over to Friday nights. Now I'm interested to see how that's going to continue under the construct of a two-hour show versus a three-hour program where I feel like it can fit a lot better. If the third round ends with Miz and Morrison getting drafted, I think the question is how long does Miz and Morrison stay a tag team? I'm interested to see how that goes. Then we start off round four with probably the biggest surprise, and this is something I've been wanting to rant about over the last few days. It's probably a big reason why I was looking forward to seeing, to doing this podcast, I should say. The New Day won the SmackDown Tag Team titles. When I saw the SmackDown Tag Team champions were drafted to Raw, I was like, who are the Tag Team champions? Because I completely and utterly forgot who was holding the Tag Team titles. And then I remembered it was Shinsuke and Cesaro. I completely forgot who were the Tag Team champions. I, if that was a Jeopardy question and I had to put all my actual money on the line, I would have lost it. But New Day won the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods, who returned earlier in the night, they both got drafted to Raw, but Big E is staying on SmackDown. And I've got a lot to say about that, because why are you going to break up your biggest cash cow? And obviously, the New Day still technically will be around because they're best friends, and you won't see it end like, let's say, the APA or the Dudley Boys. There's a situation where the New Day will remain a tag team, but they'll be without their guy, Big E. And it just won't necessarily be the same. But I think it's absolutely perfect for Big E to have a opportunity to get towards the top of the card. Now, I was talking to somebody about this recently, about the WWE and how they have booked out Big E. And the great job of the blow-off match, which was just extremely hardcore and so much fun to watch. That ruled when I wound up kind of checking out the highlights of the new of Big E's match with Sheamus. Just so much fun to see that. But I think Big E is set up to have a secondary title reign. I think he'll wind up taking down Sami Zayn. And I know everybody wants to see him win at WrestleMania, the WWE title. I love Big E. He's probably one of my favorite guys since he debuted because he's got that size. He's got that personality. I know you see that personality out in full force with the New Day, and you see what he can wind up doing as a character. But I feel like he is only so, going to go so high right now. I think in a couple of years, if you continue the singles run and you establish him as a true threat for titles and you really build him up, because it's been a while since Biggie had won an Intercontinental title, had won a secondary title. For years, Kofi Kingston had racked up U.S. titles, tag team titles, Intercontinental titles. He racked those things up, and you knew he could hold his own in a singles kind of role. Big E, he started his career as a enforcer, as a heavy for Dolph Ziggler. Now you get to see Big E in a true singles role, all his own. And now we could potentially see Big E really break out. And he could be one of the big stories of the draft this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if this fourth round pick turns out to be a big one in terms of the mid card and making the upper mid card a lot stronger. But in a couple of years, I think we see Big E get his big shot, and have a WWE title reign down the road. That's just the way, kind of how I see things. Then Dana Brooke remains on Monday Night Raw. Then you have Otis, 
gets drafted to SmackDown. Now, what does that mean for Tucky? Well, I'll get to Tucky in a little bit because they actually broke this down on Talking Smack. Angel Garza remains on Monday Night Raw. The Red Brand keeping a hell of a talent in Angel Garza. Feels like he could do well in 205 Live. But he's had a lot of great showcases as of late with the Street Profits, which I'll get to in a little bit. But again, really surprised to see the New Day get split up. Otis get drafted separately. Now you're going to continue to see possibly a singles push for him. I feel like he's going to be a lot more of a comic relief type character. He is entertaining as all get out. I remember seeing him the first time he was on Raw. Actually, this is the second show. Whatever. He showed up after the Elimination Chamber 2019 at the Cajun Dome. Yes, I was at that Cajun Dome show, which I feel like talking about one day down the road about being as part probably the worst crowd in WWE history because they were dead as hell that night, but I was pretty much the only person lit. I remember seeing Heavy Machinery come out, and I was like, okay, this is weird. What am I supposed to say about these guys? They're very much like a comedy act, but I liked it. I was hoping to see more from them. Lo and behold, within like a year, he is in line for a potential title shot down the road. Now he's going to become a single star because Tucker was drafted to Raw with the last pick in the fifth round that happened on Talking Smack. Other picks were Umberto Carrillo drafted to Raw, probably going to continue his angle with Angel Garza and the Hurt Business and get involved in a lot of different things. He's definitely going to be stuck as a lower mid-card guy, and I wish he would be a lot better, but you know it is what it is. Then you get to Buddy Murphy, or now they're calling him Murphy. He's going to stick on the blue brand, joining Seth Rollins. Makes a whole lot of sense. It continues the Mysterio family angle that's been going on for what feels like, you know, eight, nine months. It's been going on pretty much right after Money in the Bank 2020 and has been going on and on and on. Hopefully we get to see that thing come to a resolution sooner rather than later because I'm honestly tired of hearing about it. Then we get to uh, Drew Gulak. And Tucker, both got drafted in the fifth round. Kalisto was the final pick for SmackDown on night number one. And just looking at, you know, night one of the WWE draft, I think we're all wound up winning it because you wound up getting your WWE champion, Raw Women's champion, and your United States champion. So right there, you've already got your top tier titles already locked up in the red brain. AJ Styles, you locked down. You locked down Ricochet. You locked down the Miz and Morrison, two great star powers right there. And you also lock down a top draw in the New Day. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to see how that works, how the eyes are going to be drawn on the product. SmackDown got some really good guys. They got Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, who hopefully they can wind up turning that into something big down the road. Jey Uso, the Mysterios are going to be great, especially Dominic. Dominic's going to be such a big part of the WWE for years to come because he's improved by leaps and bounds since his first match just a few months ago. Otis, Biggie, Biggie's going to be a breakout star in this draft. I, Bianca Belair, maybe a like big steal in the draft, being the being a late second round pick for the Blue Brand. But outside that though, it just doesn't necessarily have as much like power. Then you look at Monday Night Raw. I think they came out swinging here with all three of the picks for the Red Brand on Monday Night Raw: the Fiend, Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton, and Charlotte Flair. That alone just tells you how invested they are in top-level talent. You get to see those three guys all on Monday Night Raw. The Fiend, Randy Orton. Now, what happens with Orton's feud with Bray Wyatt? Could we see a callback to that? Because, obviously, The Fiend is all about getting vengeance on people who have wronged him in the past. And Randy Orton is probably public enemy numero uno. 
And then you got Charlotte Flair, who's supposed to be coming back very soon. So you can about imagine Oscar's going to lose the title to Charlotte, not, not too far down the road. And then Bailey and the Street Profits were drafted over to SmackDown. No surprise there with Bailey being the first pick on night two. Street Profits a real surprise, but it made sense considering the fact that you were going to switch those titles over in a little uh, switcheroo, which was weird. And I feel like, honestly, I would have loved for it to not happen. And you have those titles do change hands the next pay-per-view with another opponent. That way, it just would have been at least more entertaining. Then the second round comes around with Braun Strowman, Matt Riddle, Jeff Hardy going to Raw. Again, right there, the first two rounds, I think Raw has won unanimously. Yes, SmackDown got Daniel Bryan. Yes, Kevin Owens to SmackDown. But I think you got two big-name talents in Jeff Hardy and Braun Strowman. Matt Riddle, who is going to probably be one of the top guys in the next like 18 months or so in my book. So I think round two goes to Raw again. So I think day two has already been won by them. But then you open up round number three with this pick, and I am blown away by the fact they actually did this. Because you think about everything that's gone on over the last several months with Monday Night Raw getting ransacked and destroyed, SmackDown as well. Don't forget about the fact they destroyed the Performance Center months ago. Retribution was drafted third. The entire group, the group that wound up causing all kinds of chaos, was in the draft pool for one. And number two, it just boggles the mind that WWE decides that, hey, we're going to break up the New Day but keep Retribution together. That made zero sense and I am blown away that they actually went ahead and did this. Went with an angle where Retribution was drafted, let alone given contracts for no reason whatsoever. Nothing's been made, nothing makes sense anymore. And I've been wondering to this day, what in the hell is going on over there? Then you get Lars Sullivan drafted to start off the third round for the blue brand. And that alone. Oh boy, he needs to just, they just need to stop and let, and try and figure out how they can make sure this guy does not like completely screw himself over. Cause he has been an absolute Melvin from Jump Street, my friends. He has been an absolute joke and they have basically, you know, laughed him off of being a serious threat cause he's too busy kind of being on Instagram, sliding into the DMs, being very rude towards some people that, honestly, you shouldn't be saying that kind of stuff to, especially if you're a WWE superstar or a celebrity or anything of that kind, of that ilk. It is so dumb, and I could not believe the fact that in 2020, we were talking about this going on. But then things got better. Because Keith Lee is going to the to Raw. King Corbin joining SmackDown, which makes sense. And then we wrap up the third round with Alexa Bliss following The Fiend. And by the way, that was really the highlight of Monday Night Raw for me, was seeing The Fiend, Alexa Bliss, both hit Zelina Vega and Angel Garza with Sister Abigail, both at the same time, just absolutely badass as hell. And it just makes you think these two are going to be the rulers of Monday Night Raw not too far down the road. Because I think that's what we're going to see, because Alexa Bliss... And the fiend Bray Wyatt. Now we officially get to see these two work together in tandem, probably very similar to how Harley Quinn and the Joker work, which would work absolutely perfect with Alexa Bliss. Everybody remembers her Harley Quinn get up when she won the SmackDown Women's Championship 
many years ago. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with her. The fourth round, the returning. Who wants to walk with Elias? Elias getting drafted to the, the red brand. Sami Zayn, the Intercontinental Champion, the one and only true champion going over to SmackDown. Makes sense. Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura also going to be sticking around on the blue brand. Lacey Evans going back to Raw, where she really got her start then moved over to SmackDown, was really starting to set herself up really nicely as a really good babyface. I'm looking forward to seeing how she fits in that mold of what looks to be a pretty stacked women's division. Not just because of the fact you got Asuka and Charlotte Flair and Alexa Bliss. you got Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they look in this entire thing. Then Sheamus is there to round out the red brand. Of course, you got to get the ginger in there. Maybe it was a little pun there. Then you get to the fifth round. This is kind of where you get to see a lot of these jobbers and where they kind of all fit in, at least somewhat. With Nikki Cross getting drafted to the Raw brand, Nikki Cross getting drafted to the Raw brand, and then Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode getting sent to SmackDown, and then R-Truth, the 24-7 champion, going to be sticking on the red brand at Apollo Crews, going to SmackDown, which means finally we will not see any more matches between Apollo Crews and any of the members of the Hurt Business because I am sick and tired of seeing that angle. I look at everybody else. I am so glad that that is finally done. And then the fourth round, the fifth round, excuse me, ended with Dabakato getting drafted to Raw, obviously to fit Raw underground in. I'll go through the sixth and seventh rounds, rapid fire style. Outside of Alistair Black, really nothing major. Titus O'Neil goes to Raw, Carmella to SmackDown, Peyton Royce to Raw, Alistair Black to SmackDown. So it continues the Kevin Owens angle, Akira Tozawa, and his ninjas, they're going to be on Raw still. Then Lana Natalia gets split up with. Lana on Raw and Natalia going to SmackDown. She actually like had her tooth broken and pull it flew out during the match on Raw, and she posted a pick on it. Ugh, I was like, man, that absolutely sucks. And then it ends with Riddick Moss, the Riot Squad going to SmackDown. Riddick Moss to Raw and Arturo Ruas again. The final two picks for Raw all fit the Raw Underground theme. And then you know the Lucha House Party. The other two were added to the Raw roster on Monday. That is going to be Lindsay Dorado and Grand Metalik. And some of the other undrafted free agents were Andrade and Mickey James were both not drafted. So that's interesting. Now, what does that mean for Andrade? Does he get an angle where he's going to be sent back over to NXT? Is Mickey James planning on hanging it up? There's a lot of questions concerning their future. But again, I think Raw won this one running away. I think there's a chance where you get to see some stars made but I think a lot of those guys were on night two. Excuse me, on day one. Day two was largely kind of filling out the rest of your roster with some interesting guys. But I feel like the tag team division is going to require a lot of work when it comes down to it. But I am looking forward to also seeing maybe Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn getting into a feud with each other again. That'd be a whole heck of a lot of fun. But, of course, that's a different conversation for a different day. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the podcast real quick with some thoughts on Dark Side of the Ring Season 3 because there was reports coming out, according to PW Insider's Mike Johnson, that some of the topics have been unveiled for Season 3 of Dark Side of the Ring, which, by the way, if you haven't seen Dark Side of the Ring yet, you need to get out, go out of your way and go check this out. And one of the topics has been already confirmed is the 1995 Collision in Korea event, which was something WCW and New Japan put together 
which the stories of that is absolutely amazing. And it probably makes the whole story with, you know, Vince McMahon trying to make money with the whole Saudi Arabia deal seem like child's play. And I've heard some of the stories about it, but hearing it from the actual people is going to be really cool. And then you also have Eric Bischoff said on his 83 weeks podcast, he has conducted interviews for that and also the death of Brian Pillman. Now, some other stuff has been reported as well, including Grizzly Smith, Rockin' Robbins, Sam Houston, even Jake the Snake Roberts, which is a lot more of a different story. Because, in fact, you actually see a happy ending with all this. Because you look at a lot of these, there's not a whole lot of happy endings. I mean, New Jack is a very weird tale of Christopher Benoit for obvious reasons. And hopefully, we get to see some really cool stories with Season 3 of dark side of the ring so hopefully you are going to enjoy that just as much as i am going to enjoy talking about it and reviewing it and i'm also going to say this before we wrap up the, wrap up the podcast because obviously this is more of a wb draft breakdown and looking at it but i am going to do this one day in the next couple weeks probably going to do it in one of the episodes next week and that is do a little bonus episode i guarantee you i'll be doing some more bonus episodes i've been itching do at least like two pods a week. And one of those is a like review, retro review of Hell in a Cell 2009. Because I was talking with one of my coworkers and saying the fact that, you know, we have now, we're that much closer to Hell in, Hell in a Cell 2020. And there's three matches on the card that are inside Hell in a Cell. One of them is an I quit match, which I'm going to rant about probably further down the line. But why in 2020? Do we have to have three Hell in a Cell matches? Because of the fact that, you know, every time you saw Hell in a Cell, it was a big blow-off. Now it's treated like it's a yearly tradition where it has to happen on this. To a certain extent, that's what TNA did with Lockdown, with every match being inside a steel cage. But it didn't affect the way steel cages were looked at. It was still looked at as, relatively speaking, a big blow-off. Because outside of that time of year, you saw it maybe once. Now you see Hell in a Cell three times a year, maybe four times a year, we put it on a WrestleMania. I think there's such a thing as burnout, but I'm going to go back to 2009 and see if that novelty was already wearing off on the actual gimmick of Hell in a Cell. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You'll be able to get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean Podcast, the Rap Game Podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time. Moses, where's my car, man? Right, space 22, man. 22. 22! Oh, man!